yes, the sounds of money for nothing. Good morning to you. I'm Brian Curtis, and we have an exciting show for you today. A U.S. move to bring Russia and Ukraine together fails. What's the effect on the market? The Fed sees growth even as it blames the weather for a slow job hiring. And Janet Yellen, the Fed chair, says the U.S. economy is falling far short of the goals that Congress has mandated for the Fed to achieve. And what does that mean? So those stories and a whole lot more. And here's an audio taste of what's to come. Russia made a choice, and we have clearly stated that we believe it is the wrong choice that is the choice to move troops into Crimea. Russia can now choose to de-escalate this situation, and we are committed to working with Russia and together with our friends and allies in an effort to provide a way for this entire situation uh, to find the road to de-escalation. So more on that in a moment. That's U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry, of course. And here's Peter Cook from Bloomberg on the Fed's Beige Book. This snapshot of the U.S. economy, conditions around the country, suggesting to the Federal Reserve policymakers that the economy continued to move forward from January to early February. But growth could have been even better if it hadn't been for all that bad weather. And so we'll get to that in just a minute. Our guests on the program this morning include Robert Howe from the hedge fund Geomatrix, also Richard Harris from Port Shelter Investment Management, and Michael Avery from Robobank. Mr. Avery will tell us why he thinks the Philippines could be the star performer in Asia this year. Speaking of Asia, markets are moving like this now. Uh, the Nikkei's up 39 points in early trading at 14,937. In Australia, the index is slightly lower. AX200 is down a quarter of a percent. That's 14 points down at 54.42, while in Cosby, the soul is up just one point at 19.72. Not a whole lot of change in the currencies. The dollar yen now 102.42, so that's barely changed. The euro at 1.373 U.S. dollars. The pound is now 12 Hong Kong dollars and 97 cents. All of those levels there, the same almost as what we saw over the past 24 hours. Let's take a look at the Russia-Ukraine story. Uh, there was an American effort to try to broker uh, talks over Crimea, get those two together. That stalled. But U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry and his Russian counterpart, Sergei Lavrov, said that there would be more discussions in the coming days. The comments seemed to indicate that while a direct meeting between Ukraine and Russia didn't happen, tensions are not at the moment rising. That said, Mr. Kerry was still talking tough. Russia's violation of Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity has actually united the world in support of the Ukrainian people. And this morning, Secretary Hegel announced that the Defense Department is taking concrete steps to reassure our NATO allies, uh, steps like expanding our aviation detachment in Poland and our contributions to NATO's Baltic air policing mission. This is on top of other steps that the United States has already taken. Steps like suspending our bilateral discussions with Russia on trade and investment, suspending U.S.-Russia military engagement, and suspending preparations for the G8 summit in Sochi. So since not much happened, the impact on markets was fairly light. U.S. stocks, a little changed for the day. Investors weighed up that Ukraine story and also weaker than estimated data on payrolls and services. The S&P 500 was down less than one point at 1873. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 35 at 16,360. 
The U.S. Federal Reserve said the economy grew last month, even in the face of tough weather conditions. The Fed's Beige Book said that the storm suppressed hiring and disrupted supply chains in the country. More now from Peter Cook at Bloomberg. It's reports from the Fed's 12 districts, the Beige Book says, compiled by the staff of the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta, indicate that economic conditions continued to expand. Eight districts reported improved levels of activity. New York and Philly reported a slight decline due mainly to all that bad weather, while Chicago, the only district to report that activity, actually slowed. Again, weather is a significant factor throughout this period, affecting everything from real estate to manufacturing to transportation. The Beige Book reports that it hit consumers as well. Retail sales growth weakened since the previous report for most districts as severe winter weather limited activity. However, Richmond, St. Louis, and Minneapolis reported modest sales growth since the beginning of the year. Weather also cited as a contributing factor to softer auto sales in many districts, with the exception of Cleveland, which saw strong gains. Guy LeBaugh from Jenny Montgomery says manufacturing was clearly hit by the weather. The Chicago region, which is a very heavy manufacturing-based Federal Reserve, covers the surrounding states as well, saw a decline in activity. Mm -hmm. Well, if you, you sort of break that down, manufacturing activity tends to be a little bit of a leading in indicator for the broader U.S. economy. But at the same time, as we all know by now, with the flight cancellations and whatnot, the weather in February was miserable in Chicago. So I think we've got some fundamentally-based weakness, or at the very least, not living up to the optimism that we came into. 2014 with, okay. coupled with a little bit of weather, but you can't pull the two apart. The latest economic data also weak. Private employers added 139,000 workers in February. That was fewer than the 155,000 predicted by economists. And so we'll have to see what that uh, holds for the government's non-farm payrolls report, which will be out this week, uh, Friday night, our time. And there was separate data also out. And this uh, this data indicated that services sector industries in the U.S. expanded in February, the slowest pace in four years. The ISM non-manufacturing index down to 51.6 in February from 54 the previous month, but still any number above 50 is in expansion mode. In the meantime, Fed Chair Janet Yellen said the Fed has more work to do to try to reach its goals for inflation and unemployment. She was speaking at her ceremonial swearing-in event in Washington, and Peter Cook was there. Among other things, what she says about the economy in these comments, uh, too many Americans still can't find a job or are forced to work part-time. She goes on to say the goals set by Congress for the Federal Reserve are clear. Maximum employment and stable prices. It is equally clear that the economy continues to operate considerably short of these objectives. I promise to do all that I can working with my fellow policymakers to achieve the very important goals Congress has assigned to the Federal Reserve. So that is Peter Cook, and that sort of seems to indicate that Janet Yellen needs to do more. Uh, not much change in the 10-year uh, Treasury note. The yield is at 2.70%. And looking at Europe, very little change in those markets after suffering a lot this week. Uh, the FTSE 100 was down 48 points, so down about 7 tenths of, of 1%. The DAX and the CAC down a little bit less than that. We say good morning now to our first guest, Richard Harris, Chief Executive of Port Shelter Investment Management. Uh, Richard, good morning. Hello, Brian. It seems like half of every time I introduce you, I call you Peter first, uh, accidentally. I do remember your dad well, and I uh, used to talk to him uh, about uh, political affairs uh, back in the early 90s. And so sorry about that. Um, you are Richard. Okay, 
Yeah, yeah, I know. We're we're getting old, aren't we? Anyway, um, it's not about us. It's about the data. It's about the conditions. It's about the mood, the sentiment, and the markets. And so I wanted to ask you about that first, and we can talk a little bit about uh, you being in Vancouver in a minute as well. How does the overall mood uh, seem to you at the moment, Richard? Well, obviously, there's quite a lot of uh, impact of U- Ukraine coming in, so that's confusing it a bit. But Really, if you look at what's happening underlying, the U.S., I think, did have a slowdown, as the uh, uh, previous speaker said, which was compounded by the weather, although the weather to me always sounds like a usual excuse, like the dog ate my homework kind of thing. So I think that there is a bit of a slowdown there. But if you look at the figures coming out of Europe, several figures over the last few days have been quite positive, including the latest purchasing managers index. So I think what's happening is in the U.S., we're seeing maybe a bit of a mid-cycle slowdown in terms of the recovery we've seen. But Europe, as I often say, often lags six months to a year behind the U.S. So we're now seeing uh, better figures come through. Whether that will be impacted by the Ukraine, we'll have to see. I think at the moment the answer is no. Uh, But obviously there's a question mark out there. So does that mean you'd be buying Europe ahead of the U.S. now? Well, I think I'd probably be looking to buy on dips. We've had over the last, uh, I guess, about three or four months, we've had about three or four reasonably severe dips. The market's gone down three, four percent or so, and then bounced again within a couple of weeks. I think there's still opportunity to pick these things up on the dips. Um, The Ukraine story isn't over yet. There's plenty of saber-rattling still to go, uh, and I think there'll be opportunities and the markets will take fright there to, to move in. There's been quite a lot of merger and acquisition activity of late, which, um, you know, in itself is good. It usually encourages markets. uh, And it also means that, you know, maybe just finally we're seeing chief executive officers uh, starting to, you know, take the cash off the balance sheet and do something with it. Um, Are you encouraged by that? And uh, would that, you know, would that be a buy signal to you, you know, all over the world? generally a good sign. You know, uh, uh, chief executives, like everybody else, don't want to move too quickly with these things. And of course, we are at all-time highs in the market. So you might think, yes, this is the time they want to actually start buying assets. Um, But the general feeling, I think, and my feeling is that the markets are still going to move on ahead. We're we're still in a a bull market looking on a sort of uh, maybe a two-year framework. And this is the time that uh, uh, chief execs are going to want to invest. So to my mind, it does look like a good thing. There is a lot of cash on the balance sheet, and they're probably a little bit itchy to use it. Yeah, because it, it sort of seems like, uh, you know, we went sideways, uh, you know, up and then down in the markets for many, many years from about 2000 until now. So you do have those bulls out there that are talking about this being kind of early days in a secular bull market, the kind we saw from 1982 to 2000, then from 2000 until round about uh, 2008 or 9, uh, uh, you know, you saw a lot of weakness. And now you're still in the early days of a big expansion. Uh, Is that maybe a little too optimistic for your blood? Well, I think if you're comparing it with 2000 to 2008 or 2002 to 2008, yes, that is optimistic because we were still in an environment where interest rates are looking at going down. I think what we're seeing with this bull market is maybe a little bit like the bull markets of, say, the 80s or the 90s. They're pushing against a wall of worry. Every time they move forward, uh, there's another reason for them to come back. But it still looks as if it's two steps forward, one step back. 
Um, we saw the other day with, uh, when Putin came out and said he actually wasn't going to invade the Ukraine, thanks very much, um, that the markets actually took that as a good sign. So I think markets are looking for good news overall. Um, uh, and that's why I think there's um, some underlying positivity there. But you have to be aware, because there are going to be pieces of the news that will knock the edge off, uh, and those are the buying opportunities. So let's talk a little bit about Canada and its recent decision to scrap the investor immigrant program. It uh, didn't go down well with wealthy mainlanders. Um, for them, they say they've been wasting time and resources waiting for a green light from Ottawa. And we saw some protests out. Uh, what do you make of this? Is this um, kind of closing the door or is it just, just really kind of a tweak of um, their program? Well, you know, Canada has a number of uh, immigrant programs. This one is is for rich people. If you put in $800,000 uh, uh, and put it on a five-year loan to the government, you can get uh, residency. Um, but they've got a six, 65,000 person backlog. And this isn't unusual. Apparently, they had a backlog with just regular into, uh, immigrants a few years ago when they had uh, something like 130,000 backlog. And again, they just cancelled it and they said, right, you've got to start again. Um, I think the thing is that Canada's had a pretty liberal immigration policy. Um, and uh, domestically, it's always good politics to maybe uh, hit the immigrants. Um, there's really so many people who want to uh, have another passport somewhere else uh, that, that uh, if you've got a system like that, something's going to break every now and then. Uh, and I think they've just said, well, put a hold on it and uh, we'll start again. Do you think there is any likelihood of this policy being reversed? Well, I think as with a lot of these policies, it, it'll probably come in by the back door. I, one of the issues with uh, this particular policy in Canada has been that, okay, this is something you can pay to get in, but are we really getting the right people? These are people who are going to come in, get residencies for themselves, their wives, their families, and then they're going to work over, uh, overseas. Most of their businesses are overseas, so they're not actually going to pay into the Canadian coffers. So it's generally beginning to feel that this program in particular is maybe not doing the kind of things that the Canadians want in terms of immigrants. And it's really a case of going back to uh, the old situation of looking at residency issues and if you've got relatives and that kind of thing. And finally, will this have a big impact, do you think, on, say, Canadian house prices? I don't think so. What I'm hearing, actually, from Vancouver is that they didn't actually have a bad crisis. You know, in 2008, when the U.S. Uh, house market was uh, was terrible, and of course we came off in Hong Kong, uh, Vancouver didn't fall quite as much. Um, it's continued to rise reasonably steadily, but in maybe the last six months it's tailed off a bit. So we're not in a bubble situation. We're not in a situation where uh, people are really looking at buying. But there is a lot of demand here. There is quite a bit of pressure on prices. So I can't see them going down very much. Um, uh, but really, I don't think these immigrants are going to make that much of a difference. Okay, Richard, thank you very much for joining us here on Money for Nothing, as usual. Richard Harris, Chief Executive at Port Shelter Investment Management. It's great to have you listening to this program. 18 minutes after 8 o'clock, we say good morning to Robert Howe, Chief Executive Officer of the Hong Kong-based hedge fund Geomatrix. Robert, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for your patience. It's great to have you back on the program. Uh, As I usually start off with guests, uh, what's your overall outlook at the moment? 
Um, I used to work with Richard Harris, uh, and I probably have the same views. Um, <laughs> we're, you know, we, we, I think we're in a long-term bull market, and Janet, it's all about Janet Yellen and continuing QE. Yes, I saw something yesterday said it's about Janet and Tina, and the Tina being um, what does it exactly stand for? Um, the sort of like the only what is it again? The uh, the only place to invest or something? T I N A. Anyway, it's uh, uh, no other alternative kind of thing to stocks at the moment, given that people think bonds, uh, you know, went up for so long and they likely would go down. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's um, green light ahead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is that, but we're in. We're. I mean, Yellen is keeping it in sort of an equity sweet spot in that um, earnings are good. Uh, the labor uh, market in the U.S. is still under pressure. There's a structural um, kind of collapse and and crushing of, of labor forces. Uh, the retail channel is uh, becoming entertainment and not a place to buy things as it moves to the internet. Particularly if you're snowed in for three weeks, as the East Coast was. Um, so. You know, the, Janet's is verified that she's. You know, for, for really, really, the 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 Federal Reserve never had a mandate to keep full employment. This is new, and uh, you know, structurally, it's very hard. The, the underemployment is huge. If you added back all the people who've abandoned all hope of getting jobs, and um, we're you know, we have an unemployment rate in the U.S. of, of closer to sixteen percent. But um. So, so I managed to remember what Tina stands for. There is no alternative. Mm. Would you say that, um, you know, with people saying that, that that's a really bad sign? It means that maybe stocks have run too far. It, I mean, you would look at sort of valuation for this. And, and the people look at the, I think it's the Schiller Index, which it looks at long term, um, you know, a 10 year earnings per share and then takes a P.E. ratio and includes the depressed earnings per share of 2008 and 2009. And that that's worrisome at over 20. But on forward earnings, I mean, corporations are can, the, the crushing of the labor force and, and the use of um, technology to increase productivity. Um, you know, return on equity and profitability is high. And it, it, I don't think it's just cyclical. There is a, been a secular improvement in um, and so valuation is not that that worrisome. What what is worrisome is we're starting to see sort of a venture capital type of um, approach to stocks in the U.S. You know, whereas the internet is 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 big again, and Chinese internet is big again, and and, and companies are being, you know, it doesn't matter what what uh, earnings multiple you are as long as there's there's growth. Some some of the China internet stocks in the last uh, week, as they've reported earnings, are up. You know, twenty five percent, fifteen percent on the day. Yeah, companies. Um, you know, like well, ten cent is is uh, one that's tripled over the past, um, say, twelve to eighteen months. Uh, but uh, KingSoft and uh, China Binary and uh, Boya Interactive, uh, uh, Four Game, a lot of them uh, have bounced, and it just seems to me that. In this market where the blue chips have performed so badly, weighed down by property and banks, uh, that a lot of money has gone into those, and it starts to be worrisome. They have PEs that are off the charts. Yeah. So I didn't hear a disclaimer that that was your uh, your uh, portfolio, portfolio, or uh, living trust. There's, there's, or something. there's a few in there. There's a few in there. But but um, you know, if you look uh, through that whole area of Macau gaming stocks, China internet plays and maybe a few of these environmental things, they've attracted all the money. That's why when you talk to a lot of money managers about how horrible the market has been over the last year or two, they don't really join in that much because they've been pumping money into those names and they've been, you know, they've been gaining. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, and, and meanwhile, the Asian markets are not going anywhere and they haven't gone anywhere for 20 years. 
Yeah. Um, why is that? Uh, do you think that Hong Kong and China, that 2014 is a different story in any way? Um, no, it's, all, it's the same. It's always and forever been about QE. Um, you know, the right, the hard money right wingers in the U.S. wring their hands are all over the world about about Janet Yellen and Bernanke and Greenspan and the QE. But um, in in every environment, I, I wrote a, a piece with with just five photographs that scare the bejesus out of central bankers. And um, your listeners can try and contact me at um, at Geomatrix. We're listed in the Hong Kong directory and, and we can send them those five photographs and, and the photograph that scares the bejesus out of out of the u.s is the the bread line of the depression and the photograph that scares the bejesus out of the chinese is tank man the the tiananmen square the guy who stopped the tanks mm. and what drove the students into the square was not corruption or liberty but was the price of cabbage there was a, a big a huge increase in inflation particularly in food then and it, it's you know the whenever agricultural prices go up, you get a lot of unrest. So so the Chinese are always vigilant about inflation, and the U.S. is always vigilant about uh, deflation and depression. The, the Japanese have for 20 years been vigilant about inflation because of the bubble and uh, the oil crisis that they lived through, and they're only finally getting QE religion in the last one year. So what do you buy at the moment? Um, I think you can still buy Japan. They're continuing to um, to um, you know to push the money supply up higher, um, and the GPIF, the government entity, is moving into into equities. Um, outside of that, uh, you know, I, I would buy U.S. listed companies. Unfortunately, the, some of these ADRs are expensive because you, you benefit from the growth in China and the fundamentals of of some of these these U.S. listed entities. You have to be careful about the counting and, and potential for fraud. But you benefit from the QE effect that's driving the, the stock prices in the U.S. US higher and not, not in uh, Hong Kong. Okay, Robert, um, thanks very much. Um, maybe just give you a final word uh, on, on that concept of um, China fearing inflation, the U.S. fearing deflation. Uh, lots of money printing in the U.S., and yet there's no inflation. Why? Yeah, it, these are structural things. The, I mean, the, we come back again to why the QE is, is is the labor force is under huge pressure. Incomes are declining. You have no wage pressure. You have technological change um, that's driving down the cost of production from everything from 3D printing to, to what have you. Um, these are good things, and there's a wave of good news coming in technology, and particularly in biotech and medicine. So. People get very depressed, but it, you know, technological change is accelerating, and that's about the Internet, the human metamind, and, and all this stuff is good, and I would stay bullish. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Robert, and thanks for waiting uh, as long as you did. We really appreciate it. Hope to see you again soon. Robert Howe, Chief Executive Officer of Hong Kong-based hedge fund Geomatrix. Well, Standard Chartered Bank uh, recorded its first drop in annual profit in more than a decade. Earnings came in just under $4 billion U.S. dollars last year. That was down 17% from 2012. The main drag was its business in South Korea. The bank lost $12 million U.S. dollars there. The bank's reportedly planning to sell six subsidiaries in Europe, the Middle East, and Asia in a bid to boost profit. However, its CEO uh, for Asia, Jaspal Bindra, wouldn't confirm Firm this only saying that they they would um, they would sell they didn't have much to sell aside from Prime Credit which is their Hong Kong consumer finance unit. Well, we slide into now a discussion with Michael Every, head of financial markets research for the Asia Pacific at Rabobank. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. 
So in the notes, I see here that you like the Philippines. Uh, it did pretty well last year. You think it'll do well again this year? Why? I think it will, absolutely. The fundamentals there continue to improve. You've got a, a decent uh, political risk backdrop relative to historical experience in the country. And uh, in terms of just the headline growth rate, which is obviously a number that everyone likes to focus on, the Philippines right now is pretty close to Chinese levels of growth, which is a, a remarkable turnaround for a country that was considered the sick man of Asia for a very long period of time. So will the economy perform well and the markets, or might the markets not? Because we see all throughout Asia lots of uh, huge discrepancies between economic growth and market performance. Well, that's certainly a risk, I have to say. I mean, from a macro perspective, I think definitely the Philippines will be an outperformer, and I want to underline that. But yes, you're, you're quite correct in terms of the, the secular backdrop where we're seeing a tapering of QE, which will necessarily have an impact on Asian financial markets. That may limit some of the upside in some of the areas in Philippine markets. And does Thailand also look good or not so good? Uh, for me, Thailand, unfortunately, is uh, on the other side of the ledger. Um, severe political crisis there at the moment, which is very, very deeply rooted and doesn't look likely to be solved in the near term. And that's really starting to have a very detrimental impact on the real economy. And it will continue to snowball going forward, I'm afraid. So as we look around the rest of the region, uh, obviously China is losing a lot of manufacturing to places like Vietnam and, and the Philippines and other places. Uh, how does China look to you? Well, I think China is a, a critical juncture. Um, really, it, it's widely acknowledged now that the economy um, is unbalanced and needs to see significant structural reforms. The government itself is talking about that. Now, that reform process, from my reading, is not going to be growth-friendly near-term if we see it, uh, in that as these reforms are pushed through temporarily, growth is going to probably slow quite aggressively. We do recovering as new sectors get a chance to take over. We do see growth slowing there, and yet a lot of people, a lot of analysts, uh, read what uh, Li Keqiang spoke about, the premier in his speech yesterday, and putting the target of 7.5% out there, that maybe that means that the reforms are going to go to the back burner because they really need the growth and they want the growth. Well, I, I would concur that if the 7.5% figure is a real target in terms of uh, let's call it a Chinese target, where we are going to meet this regardless rather than it's something we aspire to, then yes, that does suggest they are going to hold off on the reforms. They are going to go for growth regardless of the underlying quality and some of the economic imbalances that we're seeing uh, continue to build up in the Chinese economy. But since uh, they, since they said around 7.5%, it did give some other analysts the idea that they'd be okay even if it dropped down to about 7 Well, I, I would think that would be a very positive sign. That's certainly my my personal call for the year, that I think that while they're coming out with that 7.5% figure because they want to match what they said last year, that the whisper number really is lower, if you will, and that they wouldn't mind seeing a strong start to the year and then a gradual deceleration going into the end okay. as the reform process kicks in. Almost out of time. Put some pressure on you. In 30 seconds, why does reform necessarily mean slower growth? Well, it, it means shifting from the very uh, capital investment-intensive growth to uh, model that we have at the moment towards consumer demand. And consumers at the moment are a much smaller slice of the economy than capital investment is. So if you've got a large section of the economy slowing and a much smaller section of the economy growing, the net effect is still likely to be a slower economy overall. Oh, I wish I would have given you more time, but unfortunately it's 8.30. I got to go. Thank you. Thank you. Michael Every, head of financial markets research for the Asia Pacific at Rabobank. I should have given him more time. <laughs> 
Well, the market's uh, a little bit mixed uh, this morning. The Nikkei is up 19 points, so not too much change there to the upside. Australia slightly to the downside, but only a quarter of a percent, and not much change in Seoul. Oil price is dropping almost $3 a barrel, 107.76 for one barrel of crude. Gold down to 13.37, a drop of $3.10. Weather today, cloudy with some rain patches, relatively low visibility. Maximum temperature, about 17. Back chat coming up next, but first the news with Samantha Butler. American efforts to arrange the first face-to-face meetings between the Russian and Ukrainian foreign ministers over the confrontation in Crimea have failed. The Russian foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, refused to meet his new Ukrainian counterpart at an international gathering in Paris. But Mr Lavrov did hold intense discussions with the American Secretary of State John Kerry and European foreign ministers. The State Department spokeswoman Jen Psaki said Russia had the power to end the crisis at any time. There's no legal justification for what they're doing on the ground. The international community is aligned with that. But this is not rocket science. The Russians can take clear steps to remove themselves, to withdraw from uh, this conflict they've created. Uh, And then we wouldn't need to proceed with some of the steps we're considering. A federal jury in the United States has convicted a California businessman of stealing trade secrets from